Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. The September 2020 monthly market update. We go over the latest headlines and some findings that I go over every month. Uh, you can find us at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. Free giveaway for you guys is uh, we're giving away the e-course for trade lines. If you guys submit your lucky number, which is zero to 99 to me at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com before September 15th. I'll be making that uh, giveaway on that day. I'll let the uh, lucky winners know. And uh, this trade line course, if you guys haven't heard of it, trade line is a great way that I made 10 grand in 2019 on pace to do that again this year. But I use my existing credit lines, put people on as authorized users and charge them for it and um, becomes a nice passive cash flow. It's a great way for not accredited investors and accredited investors to play a little bit of small ball so they can save up money quicker to uh, put on down payment or syndication deals. If you haven't met me before, my name is Lane Kawoka. I put together the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast. Join our community online on Facebook and um, check out our podcast on Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, iHeart. Stitcher and iTunes. So a few teaching points I want to start off with this month. We had Russell Bray, who is one half of the real estate guys, a mentor to myself. A great podcast. We aired the first half of the podcast this past month, and we talked about the repo market. If you haven't heard about the repo market, uh, it still confuses me personally. Um, you guys can check that out and sort of the conspiracy theory that's out there is that there was some financial trouble that the country was going through and COVID is a convenient cover-up story to put in a whole bunch of stimulus money to put out the fire. Whether it's true or not, the fact remains that there is a whole lot of money being pumped into the system. And to me, the way you play it is you buy assets and when inflation comes, you are the beneficiary. It's the people that are saving money in the bank account, not doing anything, are going to be the losers in the future. The uh, next teaching point I wanted to go over was, I saw this article by MarketWatch. They said that the new savings target is a modest $8 million. This has been going up. I remember when it was like $2 million, and then it was $4 million, and I guess now it's $8 million. And I don't know where they get this stuff. Um, if you can grow your money with cash flow in hard assets, I don't think you need to grow your money to be you know, too much. Of course, conventional retirement thinking is this idea of like the accumulation theory where you need to build up a certain amount where they're saying it's $8 million here, which is a lot of money. 
And what they say is you have to accumulate to this amount so you can withdraw at it at a certain rate, say three or 4% a year and live off your dying days. And which here at Simple Passive Cash Flow, we actually think the complete opposite because we are trying to create streams of income today so that that will further accelerate our passive cash flow and our ability to buy more assets. But at the end of the day, that's the end game, right? Streams of cash flow. And this is the last teaching point I want to bring up before you get into the news for the month. I check the news. I try not to check it too much on a daily basis, but this article came up one day and I just thought it was a really bad article. This sort of happened in the middle of the month as stocks were rebounding. Stock market news, S&P 500 and NASDAQ hit record highs as COVID-19 vaccine treatments and hopes uh, rise. And let me just kind of highlight here, like just because the stock market is up and because of all the government stimulus and everything, despite that unemployment still very high because all that's still going on, it does not mean that it's directly related to a COVID cure along the way. Now remember these news people, they're just trying to sell headlines and they are trying to correlate uh, what happened today where the, the stocks actually went up this day to something that is happening in the news. Very often, it does not correlate or, ca or causation is an effect. It might be a correlation. Yes, today there might have been a small uh, one-off headline where they did some research and this vaccine did move past to another scale of testing. But that doesn't mean that that was the reason why the stock market went up 400 points that day. But news does this all the time, and I just wanted to point it out because as sophisticated investors, you guys need to figure, watching the news is one thing, being informed, but being able to pick apart kind of nonsense like this article on August 24th is important. And for those of you guys checking this out on the YouTube channel, I have five wealthy billionaires and what their biggest purchases were this past month and what they were selling. Warren Buffett picked up gold and he's selling JP Market Chase. George Soros, he bought T-Mobile and the biggest sell was Peloton Interactive, the, uh, the Viking people. Uh, Carl Icahn, he got LNG and he sold HP. David Tepper bought T-Mobile, another T-Mobile again. His biggest sell was Amazon.com. John Paulson, biggest purchase was Bausch Health Companies, BHC, and he sold Viacom. Now the teaching point here is just because a big whale is doing something doesn't mean that you should be doing it. These guys are wealthy billionaires. It's very different from what a 100 millionaire family office should be doing, a $10 million net worth guy, a $1 million net worth guy, and possibly what you are doing at home. There's always things that are kind of going on in the background and people put a lot of emphasis on things like this and I don't really pay much attention to it. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see some correlations, but 
I don't trade stocks, so that's just me. But people talk a lot about, oh, what Warren Buffett, what, you know, some, some, they've just pulled some random quote from Warren Buffett. But I think it's always pulled out of context. I mean, you can pull his whole book of quotes, just like the Bible, from Warren Buffett's bag of quotes, and you can have it mean anything. What Warren Buffett does essentially is buy companies with good management. Last time I checked, a lot of us don't have enough money to do that. Been investing with AHP since 2017 to buy distressed mortgages and discounts to offer struggling families sustainable solutions to stay in their homes. When homes were vacant, AHP recognized that lenders frequently struggled as they tried to limit their losses. That's why owner George Dewberry founded Pre-REO, a platform that gets these vacant properties into the hands of local investors like us during the foreclosure process, which mitigates losses to lenders and accelerates returns for investors. A win-win. I'm very excited about this platform that connects local investors with court-appointed receivers in their area to cost-effectively repair, lease, and maintain and rent vacant homes during the foreclosure process and ultimately make a profit. I've been checking out local properties here in Hawaii, and I think it's a great way to finally pick up my home to live in, even though I think homes to buy aren't probably the best. You can learn more about Pre-REO by going to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Pre-REO. All right, so now we get into the news. On the middle of August, S&P rose to touch record levels yet again, so it you haven't heard it dropped 30% in the start of COVID and now it's been retracing back up and we are right back up to all-time highs now, which is great for you guys. Hopefully you stayed in it. You got out. Well, sorry, but hopefully you went into some sustainable asset like real estate that you actually understand because this makes no sense to me, right? Unemployment is at a spike because of all that's going on with the pandemic that's still lingering. This next article came out very recently. Renters in the United States cannot be evicted through the end of the year due to coronavirus. CDC orders states. So I'm going to read some of the highlights here. So this is used as best efforts to obtain all available government assistance for rent and housing. The individual cannot expect to earn more than $99,000 in the annual calendar year for 2020 or more than $198,000 if joining a tax return as a couple. So basically, it's trying to exclude wealthy people. They're trying to help out the people who need it the most. They're saying the individual is unable to pay the full rent or make a full housing payment due to substantial loss of household income loss of compensation hours or of work or wages, a layoff or extraordinary out-of-pocket medical costs. I believe that they're going to make the person who's kind of using this to get out of free jail card, they're going to have to sign something or certify that this was them. They're still recommending individual using best efforts to make timely partial payments. Who knows how that's going to be enforced? And then this is supposed to be to protect those who would be evicted and would render the individual homeless or force the individual to move in and live in close quarters in a new shared living situation because the individual has no other options. 
it does not apply to evictions for things other than non-payment of rent and it does not prevent charging late fees. Big news. There was one little loophole that I saw in here. Landlords will still be permitted to evict tenants in certain cases, such as instances which the tenant has destroyed property or poses a threat to health or safety of neighbors. So all you guys out there, you should be having your own property management on the front lines um, because most of us here are investors. We try not to be landlords. Uh, of course, talk to your own legal counsel, but that might be uh, an opportunity to still get out people out who are opposing a threat to health and safety of neighbors. But uh, yeah, you know, tough times, right? It's unfortunate some people are really taking advantage of the system and they have the means to pay and they, and they just don't pay it and they're kind of gaming it. I have a little map here on absentee voting regulations. So just check out what states you're in. Some places have moved entirely to absentee mail voting. Some haven't. Check out your state. But yeah, get out there and vote. So I pulled this from the uh, Yardi Matrix uh, National Multifamily Report. It kind of shows how rents have been tracking through this COVID era we are living in. Uh, on the left is the year-to-year -year rent growth for all asset classes. So that's if you clone everything up in one. On the national scale, it has gone down 0.3%. So pretty much staying right where it is. The middle row is the lifestyle asset class. This is more of your class A, higher-end type of rentals. And then on the right side is more where we try and stay in, which is the renter by necessity asset class which makes sense, renter by necessity. The national average there is it's still going up by 1.2%. Phoenix, Inland Empire, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Sacramento are in the top five. Those are well above 3% rank increases per year still. The big losers all the way at the bottom are Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Jose for the renter by necessity asset class. Of course, you might have Dallas is on here. It's still a little bit better than 2% rent growth a year, but it's important to note that Dallas is a big MSA. You really should be looking at your more submarket data and more importantly than your submarket, which could be 20 or 30 miles wide. You really should be looking at where you are in the actual block. John Burns Consulting releases a nice map on market opportunities that they see. Sacramento and Inland Empire, a little bit more are on the California state for California, probably due to people running away from San Jose and the Bay Area to a little bit cheaper places in Sacramento and moving away from Los Angeles to Inland Empire. Phoenix, Arizona is on here. Austin, Dallas, Houston are on here. And in the Southeast, we have Nashville, Atlanta, and Tampa making the list. Multihousingnews.com reports that how multifamilies defense nature holds investor interest. So when you look at the big landscape of all the real estate-ish type of things to invest in, you've got all sorts of things like office space, retail, you have workforce housing, you have luxury housing, you have all sorts of student housing, assisted living. The big losers are by far the retail strip malls and malls and office space and a little bit of assisted living. But I think the darling out of the real estate world and possibly out of all asset classes are 
multifamily real estate. I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of lucky, but I uh, count my lucky stars that that's what I happen to invest in. And I quote here, the sector's resiliency is also illustrated by prolonged outperformance and durability since the onset of the virus. In majority of markets, rent collections are robust and occupancies are stable. And I think what you might see is everyone's going to start to see how stable multifamily is. And maybe in the next six months to a year, people will start to move away from those other uh, more non-pandemic proof asset classes and find a safe haven in multifamily. The business now reports that New York City apartment rents are dropping as residents leaves in droves. And this is also happening in the Bay Area. And we uh, showed last month in the last investor letter, a New York extends eviction moratorium. We started at the top with the national eviction rules. Each state has their own individual ones. So I suggest kind of checking out how it is where your rentals are, but they might have different kind of moratoriums too. Some may not have, but they may have the ports closed, which is sort of essentially the same thing where and they're just not processing that type of work at the time. Another example of people running away from San Francisco, Pinterest, the, the tech giant. If you guys don't know what Pinterest is, it's kind of like a social media channel where it's just a bunch of pictures. Actually kind of useful if you're trying to find some good ideas on how to make your closet or arts and crafts or home improvement type of projects. Well, Pinterest uh, walked away from their lease, which is a big deal because they have to pay a $90 million cancellation fee. But they're like, we don't care. We're out of here. Pinterest is actively recruiting across a range of roles where they're evaluating their strategy to be a more distributed workforce across geographic locations. And I think this is also happening in a lot of other tech companies too. Multi-housing news reports that class A vacancies rise and rents fall amid crisis. This goes along to what's been expected. You're very, very high end. Class A suffers in these type of situations. I wouldn't say that when I think what they're talking about in this article is your your A plus class, your luxury type of properties. Like if you guys just Google Omli, A-M-L-I, they had very high end apartments. And these are the ones that get killed first as people kind of go to more value-based type of living conditions in any event of uncertainty. Uh, I quote here, Class B and C vacancy rates also grew, but at a much slower pace. And you can see a little chart, courtesy of Marcus and Milichabo, a broker, real estate broker, how the vacancies have kind of tracked for class C, B, and A in relation to each other. There is some more stimulus coming out for all that's going on. 100 reviews, almost 500 million for coronavirus relief. I put this out to the Facebook group. I don't really understand what is this exactly money going to. You always see these headlines, but trying to figure out what exactly the money is going to and trying to position yourself in such a way to capture this is always difficult because there's also a lag in terms of timing too. They might sign something into law, but as I've mentioned, I used to work on construction projects that took stimulus money and it took like five or six years before the shovel hit the ground. But I 
believe this is going to Section 8 housing, whatever that form may be to bolster reserves there or to expand the voucher program, I do not know. But money is coming out there. Multi-housing news also reports that they interviewed the Amelie management. Who we will, again, they, Amelie runs very luxury, high-end apartment complexes. I would call operator of class A. And I had some good insights in this article. So they said economic forecasts released earlier in the year have had to be erased and completely withdrawn. And they asked them, what's your outlook for the multifamily for the next two years? They said, well, it's roughly flat this year with an uptick next year and a nice bounce in 2022 as supply likely lessens. And I've been talking to a lot of investors in my club this past month and just kind of getting a poll out there, a formal poll. And it just seems like those who are, the term comes up a lot of just hunkering down financially or trying to build up some capital or just trying to see what happens to the election or whatever. Those are typically the low net worth guys. And maybe that's causation or correlation. Maybe I should write an article on that. But a lot of sophisticated credit investors, they have cash reserves and they are investing in the right projects where they are going in with great debt options. I mean, now I'm seeing rates as low as like 2.7%, where a couple of weeks ago it was like 2.9%. It's amazing how low the, the rates are. Uh, RE Business Online reports that multifamily specialists remain optimistic, predict return to normalcy in 2021. So a lot of these industry news sources are sort of predicting a flat rest of the year with a strong 2021 and a very strong 2022. The way I am playing it is I am just kind of going into deals that cash flow and taking advantage of the low interest rates. I'm pretty optimistic that there will be some kind of pent up demand in terms of maybe a year from now, people want to get out, they want to travel, they want to buy things. And Unfortunately, a lot of people who are on the C-class rental side and below might be, I think they're slipping behind even further for unfortunately through all of this. But I think a lot of people have good jobs. They're able to remotely work. I think the country is going to get back and going. Sam Zell, who is another guy. So I follow the Amelie a lot because they, they are kind of a leading indicator for the apartment space because they, they I call them a, canary in the coal mine because they do that class a rental properties i follow them and i also follow the sam zell character you can google him but he sort of like a warm buffett but i would say he's probably better to follow than warm buffett warm buffett kind of buys whatever these days uh, where sam zell's usually investing off some kind of macro trend so here he he's saying that realist retail real estate, like malls and strip malls is a falling night that hasn't hit a bottom yet. Pandemic has accelerated the amount of online retail. And I don't think it's ever going to change, he added. And there has been dozens of retail bankruptcies and thousands of store closures and lots by retailers this year. Well, Sam Zell is recognizing the issue, but he is not jumping into that space. And another thing I, I watch is like, if you set up a Google alert for Blackstone, yeah, that company, they, they go in like sharks every time. The last time this 
recession happened, they're buying these single family homes by the truckload. Here's more data on the Diamond Range Mall, which is in the retail space. So mid-range, you want to think of it like a Macy's, a JCPenney's, Forever 21. These are not your, your high-end stores. Uh, more recently, Brooks Brothers, GNC, Pier 1. I think what you're going to see is like more of the high-end type of stores survive. But yeah, these mid-range type of operators die out. Simon adds bankrupt retail brands to shopping cart. So the mall owner, Simon Malls, has acquired the jeans brand and closing in on deal from Brooks Brothers. So this is kind of cool, right? Like a mall is going in and buying these distressed assets, just like how we buy apartments. And I think this is kind of a cool way. And maybe, maybe it's the following knife, but for sure these stores are undervalued. I don't know if they can go even lower, but I think it's nice to see these big companies take a stand and invest capital where there's blood in the streets and this works. This is how they make a lot of money. Commercial property executive reports that Amazon unveils a six city, $1.4 billion office expansion. So again, like office is getting killed. I see some office deals out there and I'm like, geez, oh, that's a hard thing to sell right now. It's like selling ice in the middle of winter. So Amazon is going in and actually buying office space in Manhattan, Dallas, Detroit, Denver, Phoenix, and San Diego, which this is a well-capitalized company and it's super smart what they're doing. They're buying stuff while it's cheap. And some of them, again, Manhattan, Dallas, Detroit, Denver, Phoenix, San Diego is where they're buying it. And we're kind of hitting the halfway point. If you guys haven't gotten the K1 tracker form, you guys can shoot me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I can shoot it over to you guys. If you guys are in the Hui Deal Pipeline Club, you can join our club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club to get access to this. But I made this little tracker form because I got a lot of K1s coming back and I just got to make sure that my CPA kind of captures all these dozens and dozens of K1s so I don't lose out on my sweet deductions. So I put all my K1s, all the deductions, and then if you're a GP, LP, or whatever it is on there so that I kind of know in my head where to double check my CPA if they captured all these deductions. And I think they like it because I put the link in there where I put all the K1s on my Google Drive. So in this way, it's a great way for you to keep track of what you have going on too. Um, you also get additional cost study articles and sample K1s to take a look at if you haven't been in a syndication deal before. But yeah, that's my K1 tracker form sheet. The preceding offers general personal finance information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor's situation is unique. Always seek the services of professional tax and legal advisors before relying on any information you take herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk.